Let's begin with prayer. Please stand. Our Lord Jesus, thou art uh, the light of the world. And this world is in very grievous darkness. And we praise thee that we have been made sons and daughters of the light. And that thou dost enlighten our path before us uh, with thy truth which is revealed in thy word, and we have the privilege of being able to open it and for it to shine forth, to lighten our countenance, uh, to dispel uh, all remnants of darkness that are in our minds and our hearts and ignorance, and to give to us knowledge of thee. Pray that thou would bless this time of study and that thou would cleanse us of our sins as we do come before thee. In the name of Christ our Savior, amen. So we are beginning this evening in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Well, we've completed through John chapter 13 as of last uh, week. And in the previous chapter, chapter 13, Jesus is meeting with his disciples for his final Passover, celebrating that together. He washed, you recall, he washed their feet. Uh, he also identified his betrayer, Judas. Then Satan entered into Judas and he very suddenly left to make final arrangements to betray the Lord Jesus. It's most likely after Judas had left the assembly there uh, where the Passover was being celebrated with the uh, Lord Jesus and the disciples, that Jesus instituted the new covenant replacement for the Passover, namely the Lord's Supper. And John chapter 13 ended with Jesus predicting that Peter would that very evening or that very night before uh, the new day dawned, that, the, that Peter would forsake the Lord Jesus, that Peter would even deny knowing the Lord Jesus three times. So all of the events that we have looked at in John chapter 13 occurred in the upper room 
And the, the disciples uh, are now assembled and even into chapter 14, there's really no break, even though there's a chapter break, that there's really no break in continuity from chapter 13 into chapter 14. Not until we get to the very end of chapter 14 is there a break, because chapter 14 verse 31 says, Jesus is speaking, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave, it, gave me commandment, even so I do, arise, let us go hence. So at that point, at the end of chapter 14, they depart from the upper room and they make their way uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. So all of these events and, and all of the uh, teaching that the Lord Jesus gives in chapter 13, now into chapter 14, are still in the upper room. And uh, most likely in chapter 14, after the Lord has instituted the Lord's Supper. So now in chapter 14, verse 1, as we pick up on the context there, uh, Jesus continues after having told Peter that he would deny him three times that very uh, night. Let not your heart be troubled, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now this is, uh, your heart is not in the singular, it's not thy heart. And so he's not only speaking to Peter here, he's speaking to all of the disciples. Let not your heart, in other words, all of you, uh, not let your heart be troubled. Jesus here is not exhorting uh, his disciples, uh, in effect, saying, uh, don't uh, let your heart begin to be troubled. In other words, he's not saying, don't let your heart start to be troubled, but rather he's literally saying, stop letting your heart be troubled. And uh, the emphasis of the verb here that's used in the present tense, the imperative, the command, is that they're to stop doing something that they are, they've already begun doing. Their, their hearts have already been troubled based upon a number of events that have, and the words that have been spoken in the upper room. And so the Lord Jesus is saying, stop letting your heart be troubled now. And so the question arises, uh, why would the hearts of the disciples be troubled? Why would they be distressed? Why would they be dismayed? Well, let me give you uh, five reasons we might cite as to why their hearts would be troubled. First, uh, Jesus even says concerning himself that his heart was troubled. In verse 21 of the previous chapter, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. 
So the Lord Jesus was himself troubled. And so that being the case, uh, naturally it would seem that the hearts of the disciples would likewise be troubled. And second reason why their hearts were troubled, you can just imagine how their jaws must have dropped when Jesus announced that one of them sitting there at the, uh, around the table, one of those around the table would betray him, would be his betrayer in verse 21. Likewise, verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. A third reason why the hearts of the disciples might be troubled uh, they were no doubt perplexed at the mysterious and the sudden way in which Judas left the room. Uh, it says Satan entered into him and he suddenly, he, he immediately left the room. They didn't know why he was leaving the room. Jesus just told him to take care of the things that he planned on doing. And uh, then he got up and he, and he left. That probably was troubling also uh, to the disciples. Fourthly, Jesus revealed to them that he would only be with them for a little while longer and that they could not immediately follow him. That would be troubling. They have been with him for three and a half years, uh, nearly day and night, ministering together uh, in a, a most close and intimate relationship you know, with the Lord Jesus as far as communion and fellowship. And now he just says, in a little while, I'm not going to be with you any longer. And you can't come. You can't follow me. At least not immediately. That would be troubling to the disciples. And finally, fifthly, Jesus, at the end of chapter 13, had predicted to Peter that Peter would deny knowing the Lord Jesus three times before the night was finished. That had to be troubling. That had to be quite a shock, not only to Peter, but to those who heard the Lord Jesus predict that. So this is quite a lot of stunning information for the disciples to process. If we put ourselves in their place, uh, I think we would be troubled. Um, if we heard the same thing or saw the same thing. The disciples were troubled. They wondered, what does all of this mean? And uh, so when we pick up then with Chapter 14, verse 1, and Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. Literally, as I said, stop letting your heart be troubled. Uh, we, we better understand why the Lord didn't say, Don't begin to let your heart be troubled, but rather stop letting your heart be troubled. Because there was much about what had just happened and what had been said that uh, would have troubled their hearts. So Jesus saw their confusion, he saw their great concern, and out of uh, his own loving heart, compassion for them, he proceeded to, to turn them from these earthly 
anxieties, this trouble that they were going through in their own hearts and minds to the promise of their heavenly hope. Now, this is not a, I want to, I guess, emphasize, this is not a sinful escapism. Sometimes Christians are accused of being, you know, escapists, that uh, because we have a hope of heaven, that that uh, means that we, we really don't live in reality. Uh, we're, all, we're just running away from our problems because our hope is uh, that of a heavenly hope. Uh, but again, uh, and it, I just say, it's not a denial of the realities of this life at all uh, to have a hope uh, for tomorrow. Any more than um, if you knew that um, your child was having a hard day today, but you knew tomorrow was going to be a very good day for your child, you knew, again, at least as much as a human being can know what you were planning to do for your child uh, uh, tomorrow, would it be sinful to encourage your child, there's a better day coming. There's, there, you know, there's, tomorrow is going to be far better than today. Uh, that, that is not something sinful, as long as, again, um, you know, we're not promising the moon, and, and as long as we uh, are relatively sure that we can uh, say to our, our child that there is a better day because we have made certain plans. But again, there's no uncertainty about what God has planned for us. When he says... And when Jesus says, there's a better day coming than any day that you've ever had here upon the earth, and especially with all the struggles, especially with all of the, uh, the corruption and sin and depravity and, and the way in which the world is heading, uh, we, don't, we don't need to uh, deny the realities of these things all around us. We don't have to... We don't have to say they, you know, put blinders on and, and say they don't exist or plug up our ears. We know they exist. Um, and it's very important that we are able to see beyond uh, what is going on now. Uh, if we have no hope for the future, uh, then this, this is it. This, this life in which we live in, this corruption and sin and tyranny and all that we see around us, uh, if this is it, uh, then there's every reason to despair and to be in a state of hopelessness. And Jesus is encouraging um, his disciples and us that there is hope. There's hope. You see, this is the way that we are taught, at least one of the ways that we are taught in Scripture by the Lord, uh, how to uh, handle the earthly problems and realities that trouble us and that overwhelm us. 
This is one of the ways that the Lord has given to us to look beyond them. We have to face them, yes, but, but to have a hope beyond these sinful, hard, difficult, troubling realities. Look to the promise. Look to the promise of the glory that awaits us when this earthly life is past. The Lord uh, basically assures us, not only here, but uh, in other portions of God's word, that the problems of this life are temporary. They're not permanent. And they're certainly not eternal, but they're not permanent. They are temporary. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18, the Apostle Paul tells us, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's temporary, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, I know it's difficult to train uh, our faith and our hope to look beyond what we're going through daily. But that's what the Lord says will help us in all of our daily struggles that we face. The heartaches, the trials, the hurts, the pains, the afflictions, the delays, whatever it may be, what helps us from day to day is the hope that is set before us. That it's not always going to be this way. This is temporary. That which we don't see is eternal. And that's what we have to lay hold of. That's what faith and hope has to lay hold of. That which is not seen, not that which is seen. I know that's hard. That's difficult because we live in these bodies. We experience these things uh, that we're going through. And we haven't experienced that, which is laid up for us yet. It's promised to us, but that's where, again, our faith and our hope are certainly challenged. And where we must, again, not simply say that's impossible to, uh, to um, lay hold of that which you cannot see. Uh, that, that's what true faith is. Faith is, is laying hold of that which we do not see, not that which we can see. It's saying that even that which I don't see, which God has promised, uh, is as real, if not more real, than that which I do see. And so I think, again, uh, understanding our weakness in that area is the first step to being uh, able to grow 
and to be strengthened because then we began to say, what can I do to strengthen that muscle of faith? Because it certainly is really, really weak, it seems like, right now. It needs to be exercised daily, throughout the day. Um, our muscle of faith will become very, very flabby and uh, will not be able to move anything, let alone a mountain, um, uh, because if we're not using it day by day, trusting in God's promises, trusting in what we do not see. If the glory of being with the Lord Jesus forever and with all his saints in paradise, free from all sorrow, pain, heartache, problems, sin, temptation, that does not help lift the anxiety that we now face. And we just are honest and say, that doesn't really help me, uh, knowing all of that. That doesn't seem to make any difference. Well, I would just say, for any of us, myself included, it's an indication that we're too tied down and bound by this world. And that we, we don't really experience that. Do we think about it? Do we pray about it? Again, if, we, if we're so tied down to this world that we don't really think about those things which the Lord has promised that are yet to come, the glory of heaven to come, if we don't meditate upon it, if we don't reflect upon it daily, think about those things and ask the Lord to help me to, uh, help me to uh, trust, help me to believe uh, and to hope in these uh, promises that have been made more and more. Help me to grow in that area of my life because that is really a key. Whatever you're facing, that is such an important key to facing the problems in this life and overcoming the problems in this life. Not being dragged down and drowned in the problems of this life, but being an overcomer, being able to look to the glory that the Lord Jesus has prepared for all of us who trust him believe in him so let not your heart be troubled the Lord Jesus begins with then ye believe in God believe also in me so that Jesus affirms here that the disciples do believe in God the Father and he says uh, inasmuch as you do believe in God the Father uh, now, Jesus then commands them, likewise, to believe in him. To believe and exercise the same degree of faith that they have in God the Father, to exercise that same faith in him. Believe also in me. Now, this is not making Jesus less than God the Father. When Jesus says, ye believe in God, believe also in me, he's not saying that he is not God. Jesus is not saying, I'm not God. Believe in God, and I'm not God, but believe in me. No, he's not saying that. Uh, verse 2 says, in my Father's house. So what he's saying is, ye believe in God the Father, 
believe also in me, the Son, the Son of God. Um, and it's really making uh, God the Father and God the Son uh, equal uh, as objects of faith. Ye believe in God the Father, believe also in me in the same way. So it's not, it's not uh, lessening um, Jesus as God. Uh, it's not minimizing who he is. It's basically indicating you, you believe in God the Father. And uh, what I'm telling you now, believe in me in the same way. So it's actually saying, I'm God, like the Father is God. The Son is God, even as the Father is God. So here the precious remedy to our troubled hearts, once again, is not to uh, run away from our troubles and our problems, uh, but rather to run uh, to the Lord Jesus. Not to run and to fill our life with everything uh, to, as distractions, to kind of fill um, uh, the, the whatever void or emptiness, uh, whatever uh, we may feel in our hearts um, uh, when we are troubled uh, and going through a very difficult time, but rather to flee to him, to run to him. Uh, that's what the Lord is saying here. Uh, ever increasing in faith, committing to him our troubles, casting all our cares upon him, resting in him and in his promises that he will care for us. And he will. He will care for us. That he promises to do so. In Isaiah 26, uh, verses 3 through 4, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. So, um, the key to having peace is faith, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. As long as we are trusting him, uh, we will see that he will care for us. That's again how we exercise the muscle of faith. As long as our eye is upon the wind and the waves that are upon the, the sea, um, we're gonna sink. We're gonna sink uh, down below the water. Uh, we're gonna be crying out to, to God for, uh, for help. But when our eye is upon Jesus, when we're walking to him, we're going to remain above the water. Doesn't mean we're not going to, it, you know, doesn't mean the storm's going to stop. The wind and the waves continued as Peter was walking to the Lord Jesus. It wasn't until he got into the boat and had already rescued Peter that he spoke to the, to the wind and the waves to stop. But as he was walking in the water, it was, it was still stormy. 
Uh, and so the Lord doesn't promise the storm's going to stop, but he does promise uh, that he will keep us above the water as we're walking to him, as our faith and trust is in him. But when we take our eyes off of him, we know that, don't we? All by experience, how quickly we sink below the water. Um, and they're crying out for the Lord to help us. Even the faith of a mustard seed, Lord Jesus says, uh, if that faith is placed in him, uh, the mustard seed being uh, the, the smallest seed that they knew of, and they didn't have microscopes and things of that nature, but uh, that being um, a very small seed, that it, even if one, Jesus says, has the faith of a mustard seed, can say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. Again, I, I think that it's important uh, you know, to realize here that it's not the size of your faith that saves you. It's not the size of your faith that justifies you, declares you righteous before God. It's not the size of your faith that even moves mountains, those huge obstacles that are in your, in your way, heartaches, trials. It's not the size of your faith, it's in whom your faith is placed. Sometimes we, we might be tempted to simply say, I just don't have enough faith to trust the Lord you know, for this or that need or whatever it is that you're going through, heartache or trial that you're facing. I just don't have enough faith. But you're really missing the point. Jesus doesn't say, first determine how much faith you have. Uh, Jesus says, first, put your faith, even if it's the size of a mustard seed in me, because I can move mountains. And uh, so I think, let's not, let's not focus and try and measure uh, our faith, and based upon that, uh, determine whether or not we can face this trial or that trial or that situation or, or handle this relationship or whatever it may be. Uh, let's simply say, regardless, God knows the size of my faith, even if I don't. Uh, and I'm not going to be concerned about that. What I'm going to be concerned about is in whom my faith is placed. I'm going to trust the Lord Jesus. I'm going to trust his word. I'm going to trust his promises. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house... Uh, refers not to some literal material house in which God the Father dwells, lives in heaven. Uh, as we know, God is an infinite spirit that cannot be limited to any dwelling. Uh, Solomon, in 1 Kings 8.27, when he was dedicating the temple, uh, said that even the heaven of heavens cannot contain 
God. That is, even all of the universe, as vast as the universe is, uh, God fills that, and even that cannot contain him. It's like trying to put, in, put the ocean uh, into a glass of water. Uh, you can't contain it. It's going to spill over and continue to spill over, um, and the universe cannot contain God. Heaven is God's uh, special dwelling, though. That's where uh, his special presence is made manifest, uh, is in heaven. Deuteronomy 26, verse 15 We read, Look down from thy holy habitation from heaven, and bless thy people Israel and the land which thou hast given us, as thou swearest unto our fathers a land that floweth with milk and honey. And so the holy habitation, God's holy dwelling place, uh, is in heaven. That's where, again, his... His uh, uh, special presence is manifest there, not that he is contained uh, in that location, but uh, rather, you know, he transcends all of that. But that is his special presence is uh, manifested there. Is it not a, a most uh, comforting and consoling thought? that when we pass from this, this broken, this corrupt world, that we go to our Father's house. We go to our Father's house. We don't go to purgatory. We go to our Father's house. Our Father's house is our house. Just as, your, as you, when you were a child, just as your parents' house was your house. So, our Father's house is our house. We're welcomed there. That's where we belong, in our Father's house. That's where we go when we leave this, this world, death. It's a place, our Father's house is a place of eternal safety security, joy, peace, holiness, communion, and activity, activity, service unto God. We're not just sitting around playing harps or, you know, sitting around and all we do is just, uh, you know, uh, sing. Um, we will sing, no doubt, to the glory of God, but we are going to be active in service, carrying out whatever uh, plans, whatever God would have us to do, we'll be uh, active. God's not a, a lazy God. I don't think, uh, you know, knowing how active God is, how involved God is with uh, his universe, his world, his people, um, when we get to heaven, it's not going to be a lazy place. We're just laying around and doing nothing. It's not going to be boring. 
It's going to be a, a place of glory. It's going to be a, whatever degree of peace you've ever felt, uh, where you just felt, you know, uh, whether it's a momentary peace, whether it was a, an hour, you just felt such peace um, and security and uh, blessing. Again, uh, that is going to be magnified uh, so many times. Um, I have not seen or ear heard what the Lord has prepared for them that love him. And then it, Jesus says, In my Father's house are many mansions. Mansions. Uh, that's not really a very good... Uh, translation of the word there, mansions. Uh, literally, it means dwelling places, abiding places, abodes. Um, we think of mansions as palaces and, you know, something um, perhaps uh, made of gold or silver or precious stones or something along that line. Actually, the same word that's translated here, mansions, is, is used again in the same chapter later on. In verse 23, the same word. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Abode. That's the same word that's translated mansions earlier. Jesus isn't saying uh, that we will make our mansion with him, but our abode. That's, that's what he is saying uh, in verse 2. In my Father's house are many abiding places. There are many, uh, there's enough room, in other words, for all of my children, God is saying. Uh, the Father has, and the Son has go, gone to prepare uh, a place for us. Uh, he's not you know, in the building construction business that he's going to be using uh, all of his trade skills as he was a carpenter here upon earth uh, uh, in his uh, youth and uh, uh, early life to build mansions in heaven. No, that, uh, this is talking about his work that he will accomplish by way of his death here upon the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and what he's accomplishing for his people, his intercession for his people, his praying for his people, uh, making um, through his intercession uh, that all of them uh, will uh, reach that heavenly glory, applying his redemption uh, to all of his people, that he has already won. That's how he prepares a place for us, an abiding place for us in heaven. <clears throat> Why would the, you know, the in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, it speaks of the new, the heavenly Jerusalem as having the spirits of just men made perfect. Uh, that's those who die during this intermediate state before the final resurrection we die and our spirits go to be uh, with the Lord 
uh, until the final resurrection when our bodies are reunited with our spirits. But why would the spirits of just men made perfect <clears throat> need literal mansions? Uh, again, uh, that's not going to have a whole any significance uh, to those uh, uh, who don't have, first of all, don't have you know, bodies uh, in heaven. Um, and so, again, all of the out-of-body you know, experiences of people who allegedly have gone to heaven and have seen these, the, you know, uh, these streets of gold or these types of buildings and all this type of thing, um, I think um, we'll talk about in just a moment where and when I think there will be um, um, literal um, buildings and literal um, dwelling places and things of that nature, but not during the intermediate state um, before the final resurrection. Um, that, again, I mean, there, there are three... There are three human beings that have bodies in heaven. Jesus, uh, Enoch, and Elijah. Um, everyone else died, and their spirits, their souls went to, to be with the Lord. They're, they're, only, they're the only three that have bodies presently in, in heaven. But uh, at the final resurrection, uh, when uh, our bodies are raised from the dead um, and uh, we are glorified and uh, our bodies are like that of the Lord Jesus uh, at that time uh, the Lord will make a new heaven and a new earth uh, and that's spoken of in Revelation 21 and uh, I do believe uh, the Bible um, at that point uh, is is referring to a renewed and restored creation and paradise much better than the first heaven and the first earth in which we in our incorruptible bodies will serve the Lord, will serve one another, will praise him um, forever and ever. So I do believe there will be a restored uh, heaven and earth, uh, one that far surpasses the original one and uh, we will in inherit that. Uh, we will enjoy that for all eternity in glorified bodies. So I do believe that if the creation is restored, um, uh, likely there will be um, uh, buildings. Uh, there will be, uh, again, uh, those types of um, uh, achievements, work, um, will be busy. So there will be a lot of that type of activity, I, I, I believe, in the new heaven and new earth, but not during the intermediate state. Uh, many mansions is the Lord's way of saying that regardless of what happens here upon the earth by way of rejection, trials, poverty, homelessness, waiting, delays, persecution, whatever we may face, there will always be a place for us in our Father's house that we can be assured of. That was, again, the hope of the martyrs. Uh, they had a place in their Father's house as they were about to be 
executed, murdered, uh, because it wasn't a just execution. They were, they were actually murdered for the cause of Christ. What was their hope? Why were they joyful? Because they were going to their father's house. They were assured of that. And again, to the degree that we can live in that assurance from day to day, it, it, it will affect the way we live, it will affect the way we handle trials, it will affect the way we look at death, uh, the fear of death um, is, I think, basically because we're not, we're not um, holding that comfort of God's promise close and near to us, uh, and it becomes something unknown to us, and for that reason, um, death, uh, even with, with uh, we who are Christians, can hold that, that specter of fear. But when we know and grow in confidence that we go to be in our Father's house, and that's what um, we realize and, and what we hope in, what we trust in, uh, it really dispels um, uh, those fears. Uh, when that is what we are looking at. And then uh, verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus here promises uh, his disciples and all of us that his going to heaven um, uh, is not permanent, that he'll remain in heaven uh, forever, but he will return again. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's the, his promise. He will come again. That promise is, again, made very clear in 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4, verse uh, 13 and following. 1 Thessalonians four thirteen. The Apostle Paul <clears throat> encourages those uh, whose loved ones who are believers have died. Um, he does not want them to be ignorant concerning um, what has happened to them, what will happen with them. And so he says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That's how Christians, death is referred to so often um, as it relates to Christians as being asleep. Uh, not, though it, the word death is used sometimes, many times it does use that I, I, idea, concept. Um, and it's a very helpful one. Uh, it's simply to say these bodies 
not that our souls sleep, but our bodies sleep as they go into the ground. Uh, it's, it's temporary. They're going to be awakened again in resurrection. And so um, that's, not you, that's not a term that's used uh, with regard to the wicked, though the wicked will also be raised, but to judgment and condemnation. But that is a term that's used with regard to believers, that they have fallen asleep. Okay, uh, he, again, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them or hinder them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is intended to comfort our hearts. Even if we uh, have already died uh, and are in heaven when the Lord Jesus returns, uh, Jesus will return for us, uh, uh, we'll come with him, uh, and uh, our bodies will be raised from the dead, they'll be glorified, united with our spirits, and we will be with the Lord forever and ever. Um, this is what God teaches in, in this portion of his word. What a, what a blessed thought for those saints um, who are suffering with all manner of bodily affliction. We, we have some in our, in our church that are undergoing some pretty significant trials physically. Um, perhaps again, in some, some of those cases, um, uh, there may not be um, you know, a, a healing, um, Think of our brother David. I, I don't know what's going to happen in his case, but um, uh, but apart from I would say God performing a miracle, um, uh, it's not likely he's going to leave that uh, facility where he is. Uh, but whatever the degree or whatever the suffering that one has bodily, would that not bring hope? Would that, uh, if someone in this life, think of Johnny Erickson, you know, uh, paralyzed, someone who's blind, uh, has never seen, uh, someone uh, uh, who, um, you know, suffers continuously, uh, with a uh, uh, body is racked with pain continuously, uh, would that not be a, a pleasant and comforting thought? that that suffering isn't in their body, isn't always going to be there, 
that they're going to be set free and they are going to enjoy resurrected and glorified bodies. Um, well, if that brings them comfort, um, it ought to likewise bring us comfort as well. Uh, what a blessed hope for those saints, likewise, who are persecuted for Christ's sake. But that persecution, and if it means in the end of their life, that they go to the Father's house and they will yet enjoy a glorious bodily resurrection. Uh, what a blessed hope for those saints who can barely provide for what they need in this life. So poor that there is going to be uh, such a rich and glorious inheritance that is theirs. What a blessed hope for those saints who become so exhausted from the tyranny, the corruption, the depravity that's in the world. Uh, literally exhausting. And uh, times we say, oh, Lord, uh, you know, we, th we, we think uh, because we uh, find it so difficult to be in, in the world, Lord, just take me. Uh, uh, this is, this is, I, I really don't want to see any more of this depravity. I want to be with thee. But again, Lord has us here not, as I said at the beginning, not to be uh, escapists, simply to escape what, what is here, but to be a testimony, to be uh, witnesses, to testify the glory of Christ, to lead others to Jesus Christ, to reform uh, what um, needs to be reformed, much needs to be reformed, and God is going to use Christians uh, uh, by His power and His Spirit to bring that about in His own time. But again, the hope for all of us is that it's not going to be the way that it is now. So, as we close, um, may the absence of the Lord bodily from us uh, not make our, our hearts cold. The fact that he's not here bodily with us may it not make our hearts cold, may it not make our hearts indifferent, may it not make our, our hearts lazy, but rather may Christ's absence bodily from us, certainly he is present with us spiritually, but may his bodily absence from us uh, not make him a stranger to us but rather may his absence make our hearts grow fonder and yearn all the more to see him face to face as the saying goes the proverbs absence makes the heart grow fonder may that bodily absence from the lord not make him more strange and distant, but may it make him even more uh, fond to us. And may we long to see him. That's what, and I close with this passage in 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. First John 3, 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, 
that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we, he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And notice verse 3, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. To have that hope that when Jesus returns, that we will be like him. And to keep that hope before us as we face the troubles, the trials, the heartaches, uh, the decline that we see in the nation around us, the unbelief, uh, the wickedness, um, perversity, uh, the hope of heaven, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of Christ's coming purifies us. It cleanses us. It sanctifies us to be able to be and to continue to be a faithful witness for Christ here upon the earth without losing hope, without despairing, without giving up and surrendering. It's that hope. May the Lord grant us that hope uh, to his glory day by day. Please stand with me in prayer. Increase, Lord, that hope in our lives of which Jesus spoke and that uh, uh, we would not relegate um, that hope to the time that we are facing de death and very soon to die, but Lord, may that hope live and dwell and abide within us day by day. May we not be afraid to think about these things. They are our inheritance. Our Father's house is our inheritance. That hope that is laid up for us is our inheritance in Christ, which he has purchased for us, not because we deserved it, but he, he in his love and mercy for us, has obtained that for us. And so may we, our Lord, um, purify, be purified day by day as we dwell upon this hope. In Jesus' name. Amen.